involved in that. In fact, in case we don't make this clear, after the second service in our fellowship center, we'll have an opportunity for more orientation if you'd like to find out uh, opportunities that we have to go to Burkina Faso. But uh, the men had opportunity last, uh, yesterday, uh, last Saturday, I guess it's the last Saturday, it was yesterday, uh, to hear from Adama and David Pope as they shared about what's going on. And let's just give them a warm welcome as they come and share with us. Thanks, Mike. Well, thanks for the opportunity. It's good to see all of you. Uh, we did have a good time with the men's breakfast yesterday. Uh, it was, uh, I just did an interview of Adama and let him share a little about what it was like to grow up in a Muslim country. And so, uh, but this morning is Father's Day. Amen. And so I thought, how can we uh, begin to, to, you know, to begin to look at what Father's Day is all about? So as the slide shows comes on up, there we go. What, what's our father want? I mean, I think that's a good thing to think about on Father's Day. Well, when I was a little boy, and uh, I don't know if you, how well you can see this, but I was a professional ring bearer, mainly because I was so small for so long <laughs> that my mom actually had coat and tails made for me. <laughs> and uh, isn't that awesome? <laughs> I need to revive that, I think. But <laughs> when I was a little boy... Um, my father, uh, I had a big brother who was a year and a half older than me, but he was like four times bigger than me. And so um, he and my dad were always colluding together about how they could really make me suffer. And so <laughs> when I think of my father, that's what I think about all the torture. But anyway, when <laughs> my dad used to love to send me on errands. He used to love to get me. I, and, and I never had to wonder what my father wanted because he would always send me to go do things. And the way he would get me to do it, dad's, here's a trick. If you have small children, he would say, uh, hey, David, go get this for me, a bowl of ice cream, or go, go get this for me, which in his case, he smoked. Go get my cigarettes for me, or go get this for me, or go get that for me. And, and I would say, I don't, he'd go, I'll time you. Right? I'll time you. And I would like go, hmm. And he'd say, get down in your stance, since so I'd have to get down in my stance. And he would look at his watch. He'd go, ready, go. And then I would go fast as I could to get it. So I would run back in. I'd go, how'd I do? And he would go, oh, um, <laughs> 13.6 seconds. It's a new record. Yes. As a little boy, that has always worked with me, right? And so uh, this morning, I want to talk to you about what, what does our father want? What does our heavenly uh, father want? And I'm reminded that, and I know you agree with this, every day is our father's day. Every day, if we're living for him, then every day that we live on this earth is certainly our Father's day. And so I want to direct you to Galatians 1, chapter 3 through 5. And I just want to bring out two quick points before I bring up Adama. Uh, Galatians chapter 1, verses 3 through 5. This is from the New Living Translation. And so it's up there in front of you. May God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ give you grace and peace. Jesus gave his life for our sins. And we all say amen. Just as God our Father planned. Think about that. In order to rescue us, us, from this evil world in which we live. All glory to God forever and ever. Amen. Two quick points. Point number one. Jesus gave his life for our sins just as God our Father planned. And here's what I know from Scripture, and uh, our Father wants everyone to hear. 
He wants everyone to know that his son, Jesus, gave his own life for our sins. He wants everyone to know that. I mean, in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 8, and you're familiar with this, uh, do not let this one fact escape you, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. The Lord is not slow about his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. Now, I went to seminary, and I studied Greek and Hebrew. And if you look at that little word, all, that word all, for all to come to repentance in the Greek, you know what it means? All, that's right. I had a professor one time say, all means all, and that's all that all means. All means all. He wants that all to come to repentance. So the Lord is desiring that everyone here and everyone know that his son, Jesus, gave his own life for our sins. Second thing I want you to see, and it's the second part of this verse. He did it in order to rescue us from this evil world in which we live. Second point, our Father desires to deliver us. From this evil world, he is literally willing that none should perish. Literally, literally willing that that would happen. Today, there are probably 12,000 people groups on the face of the earth. Tribes, languages, peoples on the face of the earth. You're part of a people in God's eyes. Geographical boundaries don't really matter to our Lord. What matters to him is where do you come from? He, he confused the world at Babel, and he is bringing about uh, the... Um, the opposite of that, the clarity of the world through the redemption of his, of, his, uh, of his church. He's bringing it all back together. He sees you as part of a people. Of those 12,000 people, 6,000 of them around the world are less than 2% believing, as far as we know. As far as we know. Less than 2% believing. Um, then, half of those, as far as we know, maybe a little less, maybe a fourth of those, don't have anybody even trying to change that harsh reality. They don't believe, and there's no one living among them trying to change that. Well, and that's why I want to introduce you to a, a dear friend of mine uh, who came to hear and receive the Father's gift uh, from Jesus. Um, he's my friend from West Africa, Adama Watara. Adama, come on up. You can hold that. Don't talk yet. <laughs> and so I'm going to have him greet you in his home language just a minute. I just want to say this. In 2009, Cindy and I went, and you'll see a map in a little bit, went to a, uh, the country of Burkina Faso. You will actually show the actual place where we lived on the map. So we went there, and two days after I arrived, I met this guy in 2009. So we've been friends since for eight years now. We've continued to find ways to continue to work together. But that's when I first heard his story. But God put us together and we were basically joined together at the hip for two years. We went all over the country of Burkina Faso. We have since been in other countries, Ghana together, uh, Cote d'Ivoire together. We've done some other work together. But uh, he's here today. And so I've asked him if he would share his testimony, how he came to faith uh, what kind of people he came from, how he came to faith, and even his call upon his life uh, to serve the Lord Jesus. So, Adama, why don't you share? Now, I may interrupt him from time to time. And the reason I do that is sometimes his English, you may not be clear, <laughs> and he'll want me to do that. So go ahead and greet them in Jula, and then you can tell you, share your testimony. Wait, did you get that? Try it again. 
And they're supposed to say what? Ba. Okay, I think you can do that. You ready? One, two, three. Ba. There you go. And if you're a woman, they say. Can you do that? Okay. When we were greeting the village and I would come in, I would always come in and they would greet me and I would just, all I had to know was. Because they go through about how many greetings? Six, seven different greetings. How's, how are you? How's your wife? How's your children? How are your grandchildren? How's your work? How's it? And so every time you just go. Okay, Autumn, share your testimony. Go ahead, share. Um, good morning, everybody. It's a privilege for me to be in front of you this morning at Grace Hill uh, with my friend David and Cindy. Um, I'm sorry because I don't speak American English. I learned English at school in Burkina, and I know that I can, David can understand what I will be saying. So my name is Adama Watara. I came from West Africa in, in a country called Burkina Faso. Burkina Faso, uh, f- the former Upper Volta, located at north of Ghana, north of Africa, maybe. And I belong to a Jula tribe. Um, All right, hold on. I want to make sure they hear that. He comes from the Jula tribe, J-U-L-A, Jula tribe. You'll see it up on the screen a little bit later. Go ahead. So I grew up in a strong Muslim family in West Africa, where I live. Being a Jula, it's related to uh, what you believe. So Islam is uh, our identity. So when I grew up, you born, you don't get to confess to become Muslim for my people group. You are born Muslim, you grow up Muslim, you can do you know, it's just, that's your life. So my dad uh, got, I grew up in a big family, my, got, my dad got four wives and I have 24 brothers and sisters living together with cousins, nephew, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> so it was a very big family. So when I grew up at five, when I was five, then my dad sent me to a Quranic school. Okay. Sent him to a Quranic school. So at five years of age, if you had the ability, you would send your children, your boys, because not the girls, but the boys, to Quranic school to study the Quran, the religious book of Muslim people. So he was sent at five, and he was going to begin his training to be an imam, a Muslim teacher. Go ahead. Right. Then um, I went to a Quran school for two years. And what Quran school means there is not uh, what you see in Bible schools here. So I was, as I was little, I would go out with uh, other Quranic students begging on the road with red can. I don't know if you can explain <laughs> red can to them. They have red coffee cans. You buy coffee in red cans. And so what they would do when the little boys showed up... They would study the Quran every day and memorize the Arabic. They didn't have any idea what they were learning. But then most of the day, that was like one hour, maybe two, two hours a day. The rest of the day, they were sent out on the street to beg money, to raise money for the school. So at five years of age, five, six, and seven, Adama was on the streets of a major city, 250,000, 300,000 people, uh, begging, raising money with this coffee can asking people to give money. He would get things thrown at him. People would chase him. He would get, older boys would beat him and take his money. And so this is what, he spent two years on the streets doing this. 
All right. So uh, two years after that, my, my sister was going around, and he, she saw me uh, on the street begging money, and she cried because that wasn't what my father thought it was going to be for me, even if he wanted me to become an imam. By the way, one of my best friends from the same school, I used to be the imam when I was five at that school. But one of my best friends is now a big imam in my village. So, but when my, grand, when my sister saw me, she cried and she went to my dad and mom and said, I couldn't live there anymore because they are not treating me very well. And my, my, my mom took me from that guy. I was seven. And uh, at eight, they sent me back to regular school, which is... You know. <laughs> Let me interrupt, because I want you to understand this. His father knew a little bit what might happen mm -hmm. when he sent him. But he thought that's part of his upbringing, right? You need to learn to suffer, probably a little bit like that. Mm -hmm. And his sister saw him and, and was said, he's begging on the street. He's, you know, he's starving. I mean, because he might not eat every day while they were there. And uh, so guess who made sure he came home? Mama. <laughs> Mama said, uh-uh, <laughs> and he said, bring my boy home, and so they brought him home, and then ended up sending him to another school. Yeah. Yeah, what kind of school? And they sent me to an evangelical school. <laughs> a Christian a school? Christian school. So I stayed there. I was going to school, and, but in the program, we have to read the Bible at least once a week for two hours, and that wasn't something that I wanted to do because, <laughs> you know, and I was always in trouble with the pastor. He was a school teacher there as well. So uh, I finally ended up um, by stop going to that school. And well, to before we go off of that, okay, yeah. he got in trouble because he wouldn't yeah. read the Bible. And what was the name of the teacher? Bikaba. Bikaba was yeah. his name, Bikaba. And so he was in so much trouble all the time that he yeah. was called Bikaba's son because <laughs> Bikaba yeah. was on him all the time from yeah. the other boys, called yeah. him that. So Bikaba, yeah. remember that name, Bikaba. Yeah. Okay, go ahead. So, um, so they pulled, he left the school. Uh -huh. I left the school and then um, uh, go to another, I went to another school. And God you know, helped me to graduate high school and went to the university in Ouagadougou. Ouagadougou is the capital city of Burkina Faso. Ouagadougou. Yeah. yeah. So I went to the, I stayed in Ouagadougou for two other years studying language, in language department, English and other languages. So you spent two years studying English. Two years studied English. Then my dad, my father died and I couldn't afford anymore to stay in a big city. I have to come back in my village, stay with my parents, and think about what will be my next step. So I was 20, 25 at that 25 time. 25 at that yeah, time. Yeah. Now let me tell a parallel story. A church in Arkansas had begun to work with Adama's people in Ivory Coast in 2002. And so up until 2002, but then war broke out in Ivory Coast, and they couldn't go there anymore. It was a, a, a church sending mission teams, right? And so they had had a trip planned already. They had a medical team. They were coming to do a medical clinic, and war broke out. And so they said, where else can we go? Where else can we go? And the missionaries on the field at that time said, why don't you go to his home village? <laughs> they didn't know it at the time, right? Sidera Dugu was the name of, the, of his home village. And so they went to Sidera Dugu to do a medical clinic about the same time he shows up 
having been kicked out of school. Yeah. Yeah, when my brother, you know, there was a problem of communication because none of them speak Jula, and uh, my brother can't speak English. And he told them he, that he have a brother who speaks some English. I can speak seven languages right now. Like, yeah, seven, six African language with English. And French. And French. So, <laughs> yeah, he called me, and I was able to translate with, you know, for them. And at the end, you know, one of the guys gave me the Gospel of John in English, just because I can speak English. And he, you know, he just gave me, and I took it and looked at it and looked at my brother and some people from my family and I put it in my pocket and forget about it. I wouldn't want to read it because it's, that's way, it's not what I want to know. I don't even want to know what is in it. And just, I put it in my pocket and forget about it for two months. Then now, after the funeral, I was thinking about my next step, if I should stay in the village or try to find another place to go and find something to do. Then I pull up the, the Gospel of John in English. I start, and I begin to read it. And uh, because, just because it was in English, and uh, I want to uh, see, just see what is written in that book. So then it start by creation, and then it came to Jesus, and talk about salvation. And I, I was thinking about, in my muscle mind, what that can be. Like, salvation is different you know, from what is said in the Bible and what I know about salvation. As a Muslim, you, don't, you have to work and give, give sacrifices, kill rams, omen, go to pilgrimage, fast uh, like 30 days a year, it's hard. You have to work hard. And even that, you, don't, you are not sure that you're going in heaven for sure. Heaven for them is called paradise. You don't know for sure that you're going there. Then I begin to read in the Gospel of John that Jesus, yeah, he's a man, yeah, right, like me. And he comes to die uh, to save all the world, everybody. I was like, well... That's not what the Quran said about Jesus. The Quran believed that he's, he's born from a vision, that's right, but he's a prophet. Then uh, I keep reading it and they following the explanation of what salvation is, really. And you don't have to work hard to be saved. All that you need to know is to believe is just believing in Christ and confess that he died for you. I was like, what? <laughs> you know. Yeah, but I went back two months after that in Bobo. Bobo is the second largest town in Bobo Jalasso. Bobo Jalasso in Burkina Faso where the missionary was living. And I went back to him trying to know more about what I've, I've been reading in the Gospel of John and has compared to what I know. Because it was just by curiosity. I just wanted to know 
He went to the missionary that was living in Boba Jalasso. Another side story. This man was a Sprint executive, an executive with Sprint, had a call of God upon his life, had also gone to Ivory Coast to do financial leadership for a mission agency. When he got there, the war broke out as well. So God used war to move him to Boba Jalasso at the same time. And he, when he got there, they didn't need anybody to do finances, but because he was so sold out to the Lord, he said, is there a people group I can work with? And they said, how about the Jula people? So he is in Boba Jalasso at the same time Adama is there. Yeah, Yeah, well, so uh, he and I spent a few times together going forward, reading the Bible, and he tried to explain what salvation was, uh, how I can... Um, established a good relationship with God. And he told me that I can even talk to him. I was like, what? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> How can you talk to God? And, and we ended up by praying together every, like twice a week, we'll be reading and uh, praying together. Then the Lord began to talk to my heart just himself. When I go back to my house, my mother's family, stay to spend the night, I always struggle at night about, you know, what I've been, I know about, what I read. Then Jesus himself began to talk to me about who he is, loyalty. And I don't, I don't know how I can explain it. I, I always say that. He, he showed himself to me and say, yeah, you know, you, you've been reading the Bible, the Gospel of John. You know enough about me now, and you know that what I can do for you. What don't you come? Just pray to receive me, and I will send you back. And I was like, well, if that is your will. <laughs> so I went back to the missionary again and say, this is what's happening to me. At night, I ever, all the time I've been thinking about what will be my next step, and then... I, you know, it seemed like Jesus is talking to me. He said, yeah, very good. You know, let's stay together one more time. And we sit together and read and question me. And he found that really that, you know, I was ready. And then I bowed down and prayed to receive Christ. Amen. So, well, and. Let me, let me interject at this point. Yeah. The Jula people, his people, they are 4.8 million Jula people. Historically, all Muslim. All Muslim. As far as Adama knows, and as far as really anyone knows, he was probably one of the first people, Jula people, to ever come to faith. And so, and his father is chief of the most significant village, uh, Jula village in all of Burkina Faso. So I want you to get a picture of who this guy is when he finally comes to know the Lord Jesus Christ. What happened next, Ottoman? Yeah, right after that, I have to go to, back to my people again. And I stopped going to the mosque. They saw that. And they, were, they wasn't happy about it. Then all kind of bad situation. My, all my relation with my family was broken. And I couldn't live with them anymore. And, you know, it wasn't really an easy thing. Right after, that's why it took six months after I prayed to receive Christ for me to get baptized. And my relationship 
all stop with my family. Because we, in my village, we are landlord. Like, we own the land of all the village, the entire village. So I was in the line to become one day chief of the land. So I lose all that. Nobody will communicate with me, and they don't tell me what's going around in the family anymore. And I wasn't welcome to live with them. So they, I moved to my mother's family in Bobo Julasso, the second largest town in, Bo, uh, in Burkina. Then they realized that I wasn't going to church, and they asked me about my faith. And I was like, yeah, well, you know, yeah, this is exactly what you think I am now. So I couldn't live with them anymore. And they sent me away. I went to a friend. And it was, it was really hard because, you know, when you are kind of outdoor, they send me where you lose all your relationship with your family. And you want to go to your new family, like, say, with your brothers and sisters in Christ. But for a Muslim background people, it's a big responsibility for church members there. So nobody wanted to really take, help me. And at that time, the missionary left. So I was just by myself and praying, crying, and I didn't know what can, could happen in my life. And sometimes I wasn't eating. Then I met again David Pope right after that missionary left. When David Pope and Saint David and Sandy came, it changed again everything for me. Now I feel that this is the right time I can be doing what the Lord wants me to do because we stay together. We live together day by day for two years. <laughs> he will has a pastor. He just poured himself in me with the bus scripture and um, they took care of me. And he and I will be going around different places, traveling every day together to share the gospel, to be with people. Then I want to, let me, let me, if I can, let yeah. me take it from there and yeah. do some other things. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Because his story just goes on and on. You can ask him more questions. I, I want to want to ask like it was all his benefit. I was very selfish <laughs> in taking him with me everywhere I went because I could walk into a village and I would just say to him, okay, I said, make sure I don't do anything stupid. <laughs> and, and he would always make sure I didn't do anything stupid. He would say, just sit, don't say a word. Mba, mba. And that's kind of what I did, right? And then I got to know people over time, and they began to receive me because of him. And so that's why we stayed together. I needed a companion, somebody to walk with me. So it wasn't all. The benefit was dual, okay? He was teaching me Africa and French, and I was teaching him the Word of God. So let, let's move from there if we can, because I want to show you a little bit about that. Uh, Ottoman mentioned he's from Burkina and that his people are Jula. Let's take a few minutes to talk about them and look at the maps that I have for you. And I may have to tell Ian to click through this. Go ahead, Ian, put up the next map. As you can see, a star on the left, that's Aliso Viejo, okay? That's us, way on the left-hand side of the map. On the right-hand side of the map, you have Africa. The other star, that's southwest Burkina Faso, okay? And that's where Ottoman came from. It's a long way from here, right? It takes a little while to get here. Next slide. Let's zoom in on Burkina. This is Burkina. You can see that it's landlocked with one, two, three, four, five, six different countries touch Burkina Faso. They don't have a lot of resources. It's probably one of the uh, top three poorest countries in the world. 
Uh, they have very, very little. You think of little, take that and divide it by 25, and you have Burkina Faso. That's, that's where he lives. The star represents the capital, Ouagadougou. Let's zoom in a little bit farther. In the lower southwest corner, Boba Jalasso, if you can see that, that's where Cindy and I lived when we met Adama. And this is where Adama was living when he came to faith in Christ. And so that southwest region is what we're, I want Grace Hills to focus in on. So let's go to the next slide. And let's talk about, there's Boba Jalasso. Let's talk about first Orodada. Orodada is down uh, southwest even of, of Boba Jalasso. And Orodada is where the Samogo people lived. You probably have heard the name Samogo before. Go ahead, the next slide. Here's a picture of a Samogo man, also known as Jotoni people. How many Samogo are there, Adama, in the world, do you think? Or at least in Burkina Faso, how many? In Burkina Faso, I think they're, they're about 30,000. 30,000, 30,000. Now, here's what's significant about the uh, Samogo people. Adama is Jula, and we're going to talk about them in a second. The Samogo people, 30,000 Samogo people, as far as we know, there might be one believer that you've heard of. Yeah. Maybe one believer among them, a lady. Yeah. Or you said two. Were there two ladies or one lady? Uh, there was two, two ladies. Two ladies. Yeah, the other I'm not going to go in there. Anyway, <laughs> Cindy will laugh mm. about that. But anyway, two ladies among the Samogo people he knows of has heard that maybe are believers. There's no one working, no one trying to plant a Samogo church among the Samogo church. There might be churches where the Samogo live, but there are no Samogo in them. And it's a big difference between when you're working with a Muslim background people, how they see church and how church has to be done. So anyway, they're in Oro Dada, as I showed you a moment ago. Next slide. Let's talk about the Jula people. Now, Bobo Jalasso, okay, back it up one slide to the map. If you look at Bobo, to get to Adama's home village, Sidetardugu, this is how you have to go. When it gets turns to the right up there, that's all dirt <laughs> out to Sidetardugu. Interestingly enough, you go on farther to Logoso, and that's also a Jula village which is a significant place that needs work. Now, I mentioned 4.8 Jula million Jula people. This is also significant. There is no one living among the Jula people seeking to plant Jula churches. 4.8 million. In fact, Adama, you're the first known baptized Jula believer yes. that you know of. Mm -hmm. You had heard there might be other believers, but they had never been baptized. No. How many total Jula believers do you know of out of 4.8 million? Twelve. Maybe 12. Uh, one time I asked him, I said, just write down the names of every Jula believer you do know. And he could do that. <laughs> he could name them by name. And so we've looked, we've heard there might be more Jula believers out there. But honestly, we just don't know uh, where they are. So when it comes to the Jula and the Samogo people and Grace Hills Church, I think the question we have to ask is, how do we give the Father what he wants? Go ahead and put up the Jula picture. This could have, been, this could have been Adama when he was a little boy. In his hand is a piece of wood, and they write on that in a, a kind of washable ink, Quranic verses. And he would memorize that, and then they would wash it off and write Adama, and then they would write on there again, and he would have to memorize those. Okay, next slide. What does our father want when it, and how do we give the father what he wants when it comes to Jula and Samogo people? Well, there are five really challenges to us giving the father what he wants. What does the father want? He wants what? 
Jula, to, he wants all. He wants the Jula people to come to faith. He wants the Samogo people to come to faith. And he wants his church established among them. That's what we're supposed to be working toward. And this is a little more focused, but that's what we're supposed to be working about, right? But what are the challenges to this? Well, one is distance. You saw how far away that is, right? It's a long way. It's a long way to uh, Logoso. <laughs> it's a long way to Ordodada to, to plant a church there. How do we overcome that distance? We work with people that are already there. People like Adama. We come alongside them. We make sure they have what they need to do the work. You pick the right people. In my case, I had the blessing of pouring the word of God into him for two years. Discipling him. I sent him to Bible school. <laughs> Thank and, you. And so, <laughs> you do it? well, hey, it's a, it's a God thing, right? God put me there. Second thing, challenge is resistance. You know, the Jula people have been Muslim their entire uh, history. Pretty much. So the resistance, they're going to be resistant to the gospel. How do we overcome that? Think of biblically. They were overcome by what? The word of their testimony. The testimony of a Jula believer who came to faith in Christ. His testimony. Testimony of the fact that Jula can, in fact, follow Christ. And there can be such a thing as a Jula church. Third thing, danger. Now listen, the greatest danger in southwest Burkina Faso is traveling on a road. Just traveling on the road. Adama, how many motorcycle accidents have you had in the last eight years? <laughs> two motorcycle wrecks. <laughs> He's had two motorcycle wrecks. And so one of them was in the last year, right? Uh -huh. In the last year. Nothing was broken, though. Did you break anything? Like a, a bone? Yeah, my toe. I broke my toe. You broke your toe? Yeah. <laughs> first I've heard of that. Yeah. I shouldn't have been stepping on those earlier. <laughs> Sorry about that. So he broke his toes. So and that's my, the my wife also had one. Yeah, and his wife's also had a moto accident recently. And so that's the greatest danger is traveling on the roads. There's no danger from Islamic attack, uh, that kind of a thing. There's no danger with that so much. Now, someone might be intimidated, as he was, but they're not going to attack them. A fourth challenge is expense. Typically, to send an expat missionary overseas, you might spend $50,000 a, $50, a year to do that. Okay, we need to do that. That's how he came to faith. Somebody paid that bill. Somebody paid the bill for me to be there to pour two years into him. That is not unnecessary. But if you're going to get somebody to live among a people group, you can do it for less. You can do it for as little as $7,000 a year to have someone live there, supervised, trained, and equipped. But do you know what the greatest challenge for the church in America when it comes to people like the Jula and the Samogo I think 1,500 people groups like these two that don't have workers. The greatest challenge is indifference. Well, you know, we got enough lost people here. That's true. We have a lot of lost people here. And just to turn her, turn her back and say, well, someone else can go. I call it the, the reverse Isaiah principle. I actually took the word and, and flipped it around, called it the Hayasi principle. <laughs> you know, you remember what God said, uh, asked Isaiah, who will go for me? And what did Isaiah say? Here am I, Lord, send me. The Hayasi principle is, there he is, there she is, Lord, send her. That's the indifference. In America, we're good at sending others, but sometimes we're not willing to go ourselves and take the gospel to them. And indifference will keep us from getting the word to them. But let me tell you how it can be done really quickly. Next slide. Let me tell you about Ernest and Celestine. Adama went to a church, and he asked this church locally, 
Do you know about the Western Cotterboro people? 50,000, 40 villages. Not a single church among them. Not even a mosque among them. Do you know about them? The pastor said, yes, you should speak to Ernest. So Adama went and spoke to Ernest, the guy on the, life, uh, the, guy on the left, and his wife Celestine. Celestine, they had five boys under the age of 11. He said, I will go. Adama promised him nothing. He took his family, went into the heart of the biggest village of the Western Cotterboro people. And for how long did he live without a, I mean, was he there without a place to live? Uh, five months. Five months without a place to live. They just, beg, they almost lived on nothing, right, for five months. But the chief watched him for five months. End of five months, he came to Ernest and said, I will give you a place on the edge of the village. And then for three months after that, every Baby naming ceremony, every wedding, every funeral, he got to know the people of the village for the next three months. And at the end of three months, he went to the chief and he said, I'd like to show a film on the life of Jesus. You've heard of it, the Jesus film. We had equipped him, given him the equipment so he could show it. He showed the film in that village. At the same time, another young man he was mentoring in another village showed the film. And within six months, two churches were birthed with never there had ever been one in history. Now I understand that they've gone on to plant a third church in another village. All of that in basically three years. Three years. They were supported by people in the U.S. who sent them. Who sent them. So again, what does our Father want? Let me finish with these three words. You know them. Put up the next slide. Pray, give, and go. Now, you've heard this before. But here's the point. Before you do anything, we as a church, we have to pray. Lord, do you want us to do this? I mean, from Scripture, there's a command, so I don't know how we get around that. We have to do something, right? We have to do something. And so the Lord says, what, we ask him, Lord, do you, what do you want us to do? Give us wisdom. Give us insight. Give us discernment. We pray for men like Adama. We pray for the church planter that might go to some Mogo people. We pray for those things. That's the first thing we do. The second thing we have to do is we have to be willing to give. Give what? Give our time. Yes, give our resources. There's this thing we have to dig deep and say, what is it going to cost? Whatever it costs, Lord, we'll do it. We have to be challenged with that. What can we give? What can we give? In fact, sometimes we can give our people. Maybe give our young people. So, Lord, send them. We'll send them. We'll stand with them. We'll hold the ropes. If they'll go down, we'll hold the rope. And then last thing, of course, we can go. And the challenge would be for us in a, in a relationship like this is once a year, send a team, encourage him, encourage the people that are working. But the point is, our Father wants all people on the face of the earth to hear about his Son. And I believe because of the relationship, because God brought Cindy and I here, that the Lord wants us to at least seriously consider a relationship with people like the Jula and the Somogo and guys like Adama. Amen? Amen. Amen. Thank you for your time this morning. Well, we're going to do a couple of those three, three words, pray, give, and go. We're going to pray, and then we're going to give, and, and then uh, just ask God for wisdom as he leads us about going. Let's pray together. Our Father, we thank you so much for Adama 